Well, welcome, dear listeners, uh, to the new edition of $5 Buzz. Today is one of our episodes where we're going to do what they say, meet the buzzards, which is where we uh, talk about one of our co-hosts. And today's featured co-host is Mr. Peter Liska. Pete Liska is out in Los Angeles, California. He's, uh, you know, one of the greatest human beings I've ever got to meet personally in my lifetime. We're all friends together here on this uh, podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, with uh, no further ado, I got one of the greatest people I've ever got to know, Mr. Peter Liska. Thanks, Raj. Pete, why don't you tell us a little about yourself? (laughs) My name is Pete. (laughs) How you guys doing? A little more energy, Pete. Come on now. <laughs> Get up there. If I could just turn the clock back uh, yeah. a little bit back to uh, like the late 90s when you and I first met. Uh, we were uh, young college students. Uh, maybe you were taking a couple of courses with Dr. Gary O'Birick. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know. I was, I, was, I was fascinated by that guy. Yeah. Uh, just to give you some context, Raj. Ex-Hell's Angel. Canadian Hell's Canadian, Angel. Canadian Hell's Angel. Got... Um, Got, quit quit the life went and got his phd and wrote a book called getting tall and uh and ended up teaching at state university of new york up at up potsdam i think sociology or something along those lines and he was the best i mean that guy was great you'd go to a uh, fraternity keg bar party and you, you, there was a good chance you might see him in the uh in the back with a uh a plastic pint of beer in his <laughs> that's, that's quite certainly possible. Yeah. So, um, Pete, you know, we met at college and uh, we know uh, hanging out around the, some of the characters that have been on the show. But uh, you wound up getting a job in an organization up there at this uh, bar called Maxfields. And it didn't really take you were pretty young. I think you were only like 19 or 20 years old. You decided maybe college wasn't for you, but you were going to kind of pursue uh, some business and uh, those folks up there, uh, Larry and Pam Hazen who own the bar, they kind of like threw you the keys. You know, what was that like being uh, pretty much like a kid for the most part? Uh, not a lot of you yeah. know, real world experience. You know, <laughs> we were pretty much in a contained environment in college, just, you know, doing what uh, we were doing. And, uh, you know, they pretty much felt comfortable, you know, giving you the keys to the uh, car. You were, did, did that experience kind of uh well, that, that experience that experience definitely i mean it's it's interesting what you remember and yeah and uh, it's interesting you bring that up i mean pam and uh larry hazen are dear friends of mine to this day i love them very much uh they i started bar backing for them in their bar called the can the cactus grill and cantina george you're familiar with that place and uh and it was uh, a matter of months and then a bartender either got fired or quit and I started bartending there and then they had an issue with one of their bar managers at their bigger, nicer place called Maxfields. And mm-hmm. I mean, it was inside of six, seven months, just by chance that I was managing this bar and I was, they did, they had no idea that I was only 19 years old at the time and I'm managing, ordering the liquor for the bar to everything. And uh, I remember the day I told Pam and she was like, what? And she's like, oh man, 
is this even legal? <laughs> I don't know. But uh, Larry, uh, I went and told him I had to get it off my chest. I'm like, man, you guys got a lot going on. I'm, I'm only 19 years old. But uh, he was he was actually amazing. He would, you know, he'd, he'd sit with me and, uh, and, and tell trade stories and, and uh, talk to me and teach me how things went. He was he was actually a really, really incredible guy. Yeah, I think fondly of of those folks in that time in my life. Yeah, nobody it's... knows uh, real quick though. Pete, how tall are you? Six foot six. Yeah, and you were six foot six back then <laughs> yeah. too, right? Yeah, pretty but, much. I think that's pretty much how you got away with looking older than nineteen that at that time. True. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a fair statement. And uh, just for the listeners, uh, we all know if you're if you're a listener to the show, you'll know that uh, Pete was from Plattsburgh, yeah. uh, New York. And uh, I forgot to introduce both myself, Roger Mayer, and George Crisar, our other co-host. And George and Pete met, you guys met in college, right? Yeah. Yeah, in Potsdam. I mean, and, uh, yeah. and real quick, and I might add, George was also best man at your wedding. And I his. Yeah. We were, we were, ah. we were best man at each other's weddings. Uh, George and I, you know, I love to, I love telling this story. I mean, we, uh, a mutual friend of ours, Clark, introduced us and, uh, mm -hmm. It was like, it was one of those deals where when you met someone, boom, you took off, you know, we were, we were listening to everything that was different, everything that was interesting. We were trying, we were pushing the limits on, uh, on, at, at every, in everything. I mean, I remember we both got community service one time and we were supposed to be picking up trash around town. We just hopped in my van, uh, took some acid and went to Allen's Falls and, and hiked around this beautiful mountains and and rivers were the whole time yeah. and came back that was a you know typical uh you know fall college day for us uh did you pick back. up at least one piece of trash yeah yes we, we were supposed <laughs> to and i think i think what we did was this is horrible but we actually we actually went to the college dumpster and took two bags out of the dumpster and put them into my van to return them to the place to prove that we went to pick I, I had a feeling that's where the story was gonna go <laughs> oh man and um Pete, it's funny, Maxfields. I, I heard a, a windbag that there may be some high profile events going on there next year. So I'm just going to tease that a little bit. I won't say too much. You may right. find yourself up there. I may awesome. find myself up there. 2022. Uh, I, I'm, I'm hearing there could be something, but um, awesome. After you know you, you you hung around in Potsdam for a little while, you worked at uh, the bar and then. Um, it was Burlington, Vermont, and then uh, Prague, right? How did that all come about? Yeah. I mean, um, I, uh, in 1999, you and I drove across the country. Mm -hmm. You had just graduated. I left school, moved back home. Uh, my dad was starting up a business. He wanted me to help him out. So um, I uh, get up there. I was waiting tables, saving money, working with my dad. This is probably, I want to say, spring of 1999. Mm -hmm. And then that summer, I was working. Um, and we were saving up because you and I were taking off for this like six-week trip from New York to San Diego up to uh, Vancouver and back. Yeah. Uh, we, we, met, we met, we had been planning it, we mapped out and um, saving With our money. Atlas. Yeah, we had we had an atlas and we had a jar full of change for tolls. There was no cell phone on that trip. It was uh, 
a lot of CDs, a lot of CDs, a lot, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of holes in CDs, yeah. <laughs> a lot of camping, a uh, head to toe style. Roger, um, I never realized how much like the jerky boys. Yes. Or was it, no, or was it Adam Sandler? Oh, God, dude. oh my God. The, we, we were so out of, we had gone through our CDs so much. We ended up listening to Adam Sandler's, uh, comedy oh, one yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah they're all gonna laugh at you like basically across kansas <laughs> your your uh humor um shows <laughs> <laughs> yeah your, your influences <laughs> <laughs> but, so um, but yeah so i mean you know we left for that trip probably late august um or mid-august or something like that and um we went across we came back and um you know, after seeing the whole country and visiting all the friends that we did on that trip and doing everything we had done, and I was driving home. It was um, late September, probably maybe even early October. By the time we were finished with the trip, but I dropped George off in New York and uh, out Long Island, and um, I was heading back upstate to, uh, to Burlington, Vermont, where my father lived. And um, which at that time of year is it's a, it's kind of incredible, just yeah. as a side anecdote that. I had just I had just been across the country and seen every national park just about and and every beautiful part corner of this country, and I came back to driving to into the Adirondack Mountains uh, during the fall where the leaves are changing and really uh, hit me hard the appreciation for my own where I grew up and and where I'm from really really uh, you know affected me for maybe the first time in my life really to appreciate where I grew up, which I, I, I really do love and miss, um, to this day. But, uh, so I continued work and then, um, just as I'm, you know, working with my dad and, and, and waiting tables and getting gearing up to move to San Diego. Um, I was down in uh, New York city at the Javits center with my dad. He was, uh, at the time he was like refurbishing, uh, um, restaurant equipment and reselling it or and he was he was buying new equipment restaurant equipment selling it kind of kind of doing a business like that and uh, we we're sitting in a bar and and he's just he kind of squared up and he's like why are you going to san diego you know uh what's what what's there you're gonna keep waiting tables you're gonna keep you know what do you want to do with your life what do you what do you really want to do and he's like don't you seem really interested in films i was going to blockbuster every single night i lived in uh, i lived uh in the garage behind my dad's house and every night i would get four tapes from blockbuster and return them the next day and get a new one i had no friends up there i did nothing but watch movies and um that sounds idyllic <laughs> yeah i mean yeah. oh I, mean, me. I certainly i certainly i, I remember getting so, oh i remember getting so excited to go into blockbuster and and walk around it just killed the time walking around that store was always awesome and um <clears throat> so uh so he's you know he's trying to like figure out what i want to do and his brother his half brother my uncle uh we call him standa he's czech and he's um actually a very well-known key grip in uh in from former czechoslovakia now czech republic and um you know he was at the time, you know, working regularly as a key grip, he ran crews. He had you know, laid tracks. Tell us in what a key grip is, if uh, for those. Uh, uh, so he was, you know, he was a film grip. So he was, his position at his level and what his specialty was was like huge seventy arm, seventy foot 
long arm cranes and dolly tracks and big sweeping shots mm -hmm. and and big and you know he just knew the language that the directors wanted to to operate that it's actually a really interesting and um I, I i didn't know much about all of it until i was working over there eventually and every single director i worked with over there and every single production person knew my uncle and they always talked about how he was the master of his craft i always loved that about him i always i always admired that he had that kind of respect and and uh, his little hometown, which is about 30 minutes outside of Prague, is a town called Zbraslav. And he would sit at the front, at the head of the table and all of his buddies in the neighborhood folks would sit around. You know, he'd always tell stories because he was on all these day-to-day uh, -day interesting things, everything from commercials to films. They do they shoot a lot of film in the Czech Republic. It's a, it, there's a big, rich film history, Roger, as you all know, with Milos Forman, not, to, not least of which. Um, so you know that was all exciting <laughs> funny enough so i so I, I had scraped together some money and 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 my and my dad talked me into moving out to prague we called him we got drunk and we called him we called his brother that night my uncle we we bought tickets the next day and i flew on january 3rd or december 31st 1999 before it turned to 2000 i was on a Y2K. plane yeah i was on a plane to Prague and I landed in Prague in the middle of a snowstorm on the uh, on the evening of December 31st 1999 my cousin who didn't remember me from when she had met me earlier was walking around the airport apparently for hours while I was there <laughs> we couldn't find each other we had no there was no cell phones no nothing to to organize like that we ended, I ended up calling my grandmother back in New York who called from New York to Prague and got a hold of them and we figured out how to find each other and, and you know and that began that adventure for me and funny enough i didn't even start working with my uncle because i didn't speak a word of czech he didn't speak a word of english so i kind of went on my own own path uh in prague and it changed my life i mean i uh i was there for three and a half years and um you know i met kevin who you guys all all know that'd be um, kevin colgan that would be Kevin Colgan. Who was a guest on our show. Uh, our who show. wrote the book, Letters to Hunter. That's correct. Uh -huh. um, and yeah, I mean, Prague was, I, I was there from 1999, the very end of 1999, all the way through uh, 2000, September of 2002. I, I remember moving back to the States, to New York City, actually, up the street from George, on September 11th, 2002, one year after 2001. And that was in New York, Pete? That was in New York, yeah. Yeah, that's that right. Was, you know, and that's and when that's, I was in New York from, and I was in New York from then on. And I left New York February of 2002. I was in New York for 9-11 and then left, I left that February, so that's funny. We just and missed Pete, each other. <laughs> Pete, um, it's funny when you came back to New York, you kind of uh, found yourself back in the bartending world and uh, you were bartending at uh, was Tony DiNapoli's was a restaurant that was known on the Upper East Side. Yeah. And they opened a new location in the theater district, which mm -hmm. was actually I thought was a pretty cool part of town. You know, it was like, oh, yeah, quite the West Side. It wasn't quite the East Side. It's kind of right in the middle. But yeah. You had all these like pretty interesting folks coming in. Wasn't it like Alfred Molina and the oh yeah, 
Oh, all Pretty the prominent folks, stage actors coming through, yeah, right? Always coming through at the end of their shows. So we, you'd have all those stage hands, all those actors. They, you know, once the once the show is over, all the tourists leave the area. So the bars become real local. It's actually awesome. Jimmy's Corner, which you guys are both familiar with, was my home. Yeah. For a long time, you know, right, and that's right behind Tony's, over there, and um, and yeah, I bartended waited tables at Tony's for seven years um and that's an interesting story in and of itself because i was living with um with jen and dan cohen up on the upper east side they had a closet they they literally had a closet and i i moved in my the the bedroom was so small that i I was able to stick a single bed between the wall and a little closet in there and my feet hung off the bed and into the closet (laughs) and there was just enough of a walkway to get into the bed from the entranceway it was just the smallest little like storage room that I crammed a bed in, but I was thankful. I mean, I mean, I had zero money. I went down there with a hundred dollars and it was gone like that. You know, the, the, the first week I was there. Classic um, New York story. You yeah, weren't saving a lot of money out in Prague? <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and Jen, God bless her. You know, she, she yeah. fed me every day and she, and Danny helped me every day. He'd, he'd see me and uh, those guys were so generous and, and they, they didn't charge me anything. And they, they took care of me really, really well. And I, but I'll be honest with you, I was having a very hard time finding a job. And so what I would do is I, they would go to their jobs and I'd sit up in the morning, I'd put a backpack on and I'd start walking because I didn't even have enough money for a subway fare. So I'd walk from the Upper East Side of Manhattan in the 80s all the way down to the Lower West Side, hitting every bar and restaurant on the way for weeks Jesus. on and walking. And I, I mean, I, I hate to say it, I'd have to snag like a grapefruit off of the car every now and then just because yeah. I had to eat, uh, you know, I, I know that story, you know, I mean, uh, honestly, it was it was it, that, those were, those were, t- those were tough days. Uh, shoes falling apart, taping them up, you know, but funny enough with Tony's, I walked in one day, wasn't even expecting to, to ask him for a job. I had, I was completely sweaty just from my backpack, walking the city and I needed water so bad. I wasn't at some like breaking point, but I just was so thirsty. And I walk in this restaurant's not open yet. And I'm knocking on the door and I'll never forget this old guy, this old, old Albanian guy named Nikki. He's like smoking a cigarette in the restaurant. He comes up to me. He's like, you all right, man? <laughs> Come on in and have it. I'm like, I just, could I trouble you for a glass of water? He's like, yeah, yeah, sit down, sit down. You know, uh, he's like, uh, what's, what's up? You're okay? I'm like, you know, honestly, man, I'm looking for a job and it's, it's really hard. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm striking out. He's like, what do you do? I'm like, I'm a waiter, man. I'm a really good waiter. I can do, I fucking, I'm the best waiter you ever saw. And I was just being joking. And he's like, you're hired. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and he goes, he goes, listen, I'm, we're opening up a store in Times Square. We're opening a big, big, big restaurant, like 300 seats in Times Square. And it's not open yet. It's delayed getting open, but I don't have any spots here. We're going to open in an hour and this place is busy. It's a, it was one of the busiest, most sex, successful restaurants on the Upper East Side. It still is probably to this day. It's, those guys do it right. And um, he's I like, it. I can't. Yeah, I mean, he, I he goes, I can't give you any shifts, but I can, um, I can let you come in, train. And then if somebody wants to go home and they give you a shift, sure. I was like, all right. So I, you go through the training process, Jen, God bless her, went, took me to the gap and bought me black pants and a white shirt. And I borrowed a tie and got some new shoes to, cause you had, that's what you had to wear there. I go in and I was there. I trained, I did my training 
doubled up on double shifts. I did, you're supposed to like four or five shifts of training, knocked them out in three days or something. Was there every day for the pre uh, shift meeting, some <laughs> a bunch of misfit, awesome people. Of course they had partiers, somebody's going home and not wanting to work. So I was taking their shift and I just started, I started just hustling over there and fuck, I mean, making money. And I was so relieved and excited just to be running my ass off making money it was the best thing ever and but still the restaurant in times square was slow to get started so the owner comes in one day and we're sitting we're sitting there before the the shift meeting before the whole thing starts and he's like look i want to get this restaurant open if any of you guys want to come down and volunteer your time to help fill salt and pepper shakers fold napkins do whatever We'll just take any help we can get. It's a big restaurant. We just got to get it done. <clears throat> come, come at this time, starting tomorrow, and I'll be there. Next day, I said, you know what? Screw it. I went down there. Not one other person showed up. He's there. He's like, he introduces, he introduces himself. His name is Greg, owner. And he's like, well, let me show you around. Shows me around, orders a pizza, opens up a nice bottle of Chianti. We start filling salt and pepper shakers, talking, get to know each other. <clears throat> that restaurant opened a few weeks later and I ran that place. Like I had the choice of my shifts. I had the choice of where I worked. I had the choice. I, I was, I hustled. I, I made a ton of money. Those guys loved me and it allowed me to do a lot in my own life and pursue a lot of other things eventually and ending to go ending up working at MTV and working my way up there. They were super flexible with me. They let me come and go. If I needed to make a quick 800 bucks over the weekend, boom, you know, I was in and I had the best section. They were just wonderful people. Yeah. And, you know, you talk about life lessons and things you learn, you know, when opportunity to to do something for yourself hits you, go for it. It might not be how you pictured it, but go for it, you know. Hey, just three things, that, quick things, Roger. And uh, I know we're going to, we're coming up against the break here, but uh, Pete, I remember you were bartending in, uh, Tony's and like this place would get slammed because you had like your theater crowd, like pre theater crowd, but also people would come in and out. It was like, dude, that place did a lot of business, didn't it? Oh man, that place. I just, just to give you some context, I, I think someone told me over there that their bread bill alone that they give away is like $160,000 a year. You know, yeah. the, the numbers are insane. It's yeah. uh, if I had to guess probably like 50 to a hundred thousand dollars a day, you know, I yeah. mean, just incredible business, incredible turnaround. And like you said, tourists, but theater people, regulars, mm -hmm. I mean, it, it, and the, and the owners knew what, knew what they were doing. They, when I was behind the bar, what kind of food was it? Italian man, family Italian. style Italian. Obviously, okay. And yeah, I mean, you just awesome. order. You could you if three of you went in there, you could order a pasta and a meat, and and you'd be full. Yeah. And you go out party, you're all set. And it was it would only cost you like 60, 70 bucks. Well, Pete, um, the we Roger, we used to have this ritual um, that we imported from Maxfields, Pete, to take a full circle. Mm -hmm. and circle is you guys used to do this thing on Sunday nights where everyone would party in college, like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, but the real hardcore guys went out on Sunday night and they did <laughs> nights at the round table. Cause there was a round table in Maxfields. So yeah, that's right. Guys would hang out. And then when we all were, you know, when you moved to New York and like Danny Cohen was there, myself, uh, Stuart, Al Hamza, you know, pretty yeah. deep roster. And, um, 
we did this annual like get together towards the end of the year around Christmas time called Knights of the Round Table. And the very first one was at Tony's. You were working, you uh, ordered all the food. And I think, I want to say Kevin Colgan was there and he spilled, yeah. knocked over a bottle of wine <laughs> all over the white cloth. And that Probably. was the initial like, round table. That's so right. that was like, that's where the Knights of the Round Table got started in New York. But uh, I also remember this, Roger, you might appreciate this because I don't know if you know this, but one of the dudes that was a waiter at Tony's was the dude that played the young Joe Pesci in Goodfellas. You know when like- Yeah, he, I know exactly what you're talking about. Dude, what was that guy's name, Pete? I don't Joe, know. Joe, Joe D'Onofrio. Joe D'Onofrio. Joe D'Onofrio. A couple of times, man. Yeah. Yeah, he was a trip. Yeah, he <laughs> we, was a good guy. We had a lot of interesting people come through. Where we were. I can't remember this one guy's name. He was, uh, I mean, you're talking about one of the busiest restaurants in the yeah. very center of New York City. The crossroads have, of the world, seriously. Yeah, you have career waiters there. You have you have crazy, some crazy fucking people coming through there that knew their shit, but they were, you know, just much. Like, I remember this one guy was a magician. And he was a straight up thief too. Like he, you know, he, he would, he would, he would be doing magic for people, but he's also all in their stuff on the table. I mean, he didn't last very long, but it was, it was a pretty wild place, man. Vincent yeah. or Joe was, uh, yeah. was one of them. Yeah. Well, he was one of them. And, uh, sorry, Roger, I know we're really, I, I know that they, they, they're telling me to stop at two, two. Other no, questions. I'm not. I was going to ask him a question. Go ahead. Oh, okay. I was going to say, Pete, um, also, um, when, you were in LA. Oh no, wait, one other quick thing. I'm sorry. Yeah. Dude. One of your roommates was this guy, Dale, who was like an accomplished opera singer. And I remember every now and again, like he just belt out into like happy birthday. <laughs> yeah. Like, dude, there was this bustling Manhattan restaurant. This oh yeah. I mean, like, half of the staff, half the staff were, were, were uh, aspiring Broadway folk. Yeah. So you had, I was, I was surrounded by, by career, Albanian and Italian waiters and musical theater kids from, you know, Kalamazoo, Michigan. <laughs> it was just an awesome, awesome group of people. Really cool. And uh, I'll wrap it up, Roger. I'll toss it to you. But I remember, Pete, like going when I was still working in Manhattan and like final days uh, working in the city, I was I used to work in the Fox News building, which was a whole story in and of itself. I didn't work for Fox News, but I was in the Fox News building. But Tony's wasn't that far from it. I, I was on like 6th and like 48th. Yeah, 47th Street, and I would go to Tony's every once in a while. And right before you got married, this dude, I think is is his name Drenny? Was he in one of the albums? Drenny, man. Drenny was one of my great friends there. And uh, yeah, he's the I best. remember him when we used to hang out in Tony's. And I went up to him and I'm like, hey, man, I don't know if you remember me, but I'm going to Pete's wedding. And I'm the best man. And this guy like looked at me like I was like his nephew, like he hadn't seen in 20 years. He was so happy giving me free drinks. And uh, yeah, that's, just that's how he does. Just uh, really speaks to your character and the impact that you made. This guy, like, dude, I wish you could have seen the look on the guy's face. <laughs> yes, he's getting married. Oh my God, he was so happy for you. So uh, yeah, well, dude, I, yeah. a lot of good times in that place. It was, uh, you know, everyone was just kind of getting started right after, this was like a depressing time in New York. It was like right after 9-11. And, yeah, man. you know, those were, those were, those scary, were hard man. days. Yeah, Absolutely. but it was fun as hell, man. And, allow me to, uh, allow me to shout out my Tony's friends. And uh, I still think about everyone all the time and hope everyone's doing well from that place. I really do love it. Yeah. So Pete, one last question you asked yeah. me on my episode. 
<laughs> so Pete, you know, you've been around, you know, the world, you lived in Prague, you traveled all over the country, you were in high, you are and were in high powered jobs that involves a lot of different people, a lot of different personalities, obviously, especially in your job now. Um, give me a little bit of your philosophy of life. Um, well, you know, uh, it's interesting you actually ask, actually, because um, I was just listening to the episode we just did with Sigmund and um, Sigmund Bloom. I, Sigmund Bloom. And uh, it was a fantastic conversation. And um, uh, something that le- I, that's been sticking with me from it is the how the theme of it kind of was being present and and and, be, and living in the moment and um from what you know going back and seeing that you know we've at the point of this recording we've got nine of our episodes and we're this little group here that we've started this thing and what it's doing for me is something that uh I'm just realizing as I'm speaking, like when I went, when I pulled the trigger to go on my trip across the country, when I went to Prague, when I started at Tony's, all these little neat little things happen along the way. And I'm having those moments and that feeling again with this podcast and with the, with this group. And it, you know, I'm, uh, I'm going to be a, a dad soon. Congrats. And it's uh, talking about timing and, and kismet and belief that things are happen, happen for a reason and things, and the and just really the importance of being able to be present with with the people around you don't take for granted some of the shit that goes on around you and you know or having a more and more appreciation for for you two and for all the people and the great conversations we've already had and how much i've learned from that and what the possibility for the future of that is is really special to me and something that gets me going every day and uh just having that and you know it's it's impacting my life in so many great ways so with all the people around me are feeling it and i i love i love where i'm at and i love where it's at so if you're asking about advice or life philosophy it has to be at this moment be present and uh and and enjoy the moment you're having whatever it is be in it for the emotion that it's given you bad or good or whatever that's really what i would say there rog thank you pete and Thank you. Stick around, folks. Uh, The second half of our Meet the Buzzards, we usually have a wild guest or somebody to come in and throw us a couple curveballs. And uh, we're going to take a break and be right back. I'm going to reload this glass piece. Okay, and we're back. Uh, Pete, we'll reload this uh, slide piece here. Roger's got uh, the pocket dragon. Uh, Roger, <laughs> I think since uh, we last spoke, we've had someone else uh, enter the room for, for, to participate in the $5 bus. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I've got a very special guest here for the second half of our Meet the Buzzards episode. And that is my good friend, neighbor, uh, Caitlin Weichsel. She is a uh, all-around uh, good human being, a rock and roller to true to no end. 
I always call her more dude than any dude I know. Um, you know, as far as that in a punk rock sense, she is a bass player, a musician, a songwriter. She's done wardrobe for motion pictures. She's a stylist and um, she's uh, my pain in the ass and I love her to death. <laughs> this is uh, Caitlin Weixel. And today she's going to uh, interject uh, a little curveball into our normal curriculum. So, Caitlin, why don't you start us off? Hello, everybody. Welcome. Thank you for that lovely introduction, Roger. Um, so I don't know, Roger asked me if I want to come on the show and I was trying to think of fun things to talk about. And one subject that I think anytime it ever comes up, everyone's always got something to say about it is ghosts. Um, mm -hmm. And I have personally lived in a haunted apartment for about six years. So I have a heck of some stories to get things started if you're interested. <laughs> Definitely interested. What uh, is this the apartment you live in now or an ex apartment? No, it's the apartment that I lived in in college. Oh. At USC, it was at a place called Olympic Village that was built for the first Olympics in uh, in LA. So, you know, that's the Adams District. It's kind of a historical area. Um, and I lived there for six years with a ghost. And really? yeah, and it was one of the things. Um, I mean, I guess to start at the end of the story, one of, one of the things, in spite of all the happenings, like the absolute happenings that I can go through, um, th but the thing that was most poignant was that when I moved out, I kind of missed the ghost. Like the next apartment I moved into wasn't haunted. And I had this, like, I was so used to having a weird spirit presence around all the time. It was kind of like missing a, a pet or something. Well, tell us a little bit about your ghost. So when did you first encounter it when you lived there? Well, um, I was living with two other girlfriends originally when I moved in. And um, there was one, one day that we all started comparing notes and we all had had different feelings or different moments or questions about lights turning on or this and that. And we sort of convened and got into this, you know, heated conversation about like, oh my God, we have a ghost. Um, I know at the moment I started the conversation, I had to exit. My other two roommates continued the conversation and in a very typical kind of scary movie style. They got into you know the polar opposite sides where Megan got very ex excited about it and was like, let's do research, let's have a seance, let's find out how we can contact this ghost. And then Lauren was like, no, 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 no. I don't wanna know anything about ghosts. I don't believe in ghosts. I don't want, we are not talking about this anymore. I'm done with this conversation. Um, and that night Lauren went to sleep and in the middle of the night woke up with some specific time on her clock. It was like 2.22 or something. And she woke up as though her alarm had just gone up gone off and she sits up in bed. This is a really old, um, really old apartment, you know, with those really big old heavy doors that have been painted a million times and you can barely open the door anyways as it is, it's hard to open. So she sits up in bed and is kind of like, why am I up, what happened? And her door creaks open and creaks, turns the knob and just opens. Whoa. And she just, she said she just sat there for a minute and then was like, okay, I get it. And then, you know, went back to sleep. And that was the first major happening that it was uh, certain. And then I continued. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. And then what happened to you? Well, then I continued living the apartment for like six years with different roommates. You know, originally it was friends and then got to a point towards the end of college, especially where I was just getting, you know, different whoever for one semester or another. And every time I responded person, to ads. Um, I mean, it was USC. So it was kind of it was like college, it was a college, um, yeah. college-based conversation or whatever. Sure. But um, 
every time someone moved, new moved in is when something would start to happen. It was just like, she wanted to be known. Everyone had this, had, was convinced it was a woman. There was always yeah. that. That was just the feeling specifically with, with this ghost, I guess. Um, one other really poignant moment, this was a moment I wasn't there for, but the ghost, uh, my other roommate, Megan, was dating this really terrible guy who was so annoying and obnoxious and cheating on her and everything. And they were getting in an argument in the kitchen and all of a sudden they're yelling at each other. And all of a sudden he goes, what the fuck? And he pulls out of his hair a toothpick had flown into his head from, we had this random little thing of toothpicks from some cocktail party at some point that no one ever touched that were up on an upper shelf and it just flew into his head in the middle of this. Whoa. Um, yeah. <laughs> I had- <laughs> That's not your like, you know, floor is creaking in a weird way. That's, that's a toothpick. Pretty to specific. <laughs> toothpick to the head kind of a deal there. <laughs> that's a cool. partier. Yeah, she had, and it's like almost, you know, this protective energy. And then, I mean, the, I had two different boyfriends through the that time and both of them separately reported mo without me soliciting it, had different experiences with the ghosts. One of them said that whenever I get up in the middle of the night, they have this feeling that something came and sat on the foot of the bed, kind of almost like a cat or an animal jumping up and then it would leave as soon as I got back. One of my other boyfriends said that he had, he thought that he was spooned by the ghost one time. <laughs> 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 nice. Nice um, and then other stuff that you know lights would turn on um you know lights that we would never use would turn on we had on our on our stove top every now and then you'd, i'd come home and a burner would be turned on but it was never one of the burners that had a pot on it it would be like the one open burner would just be turned on um yeah and every time i had someone new move in i would just kind of wait for the question of did you turn that light on in my room in the middle of the day while i was at at class and it's like no Guess I should tell you we have a ghost. <laughs> and that's interesting too, because you're like, do you, you know, how, how do you bring that one up? Sometimes I'm sure it's received differently every time. But I'm just, but one thing I'm just realizing, you may be able to prove you had a ghost if you can truthfully say that it's different now. Like, do you do you, if you don't have a ghost now, can you tell there's something different than when you had the ghost? Because to me that would be like an additional layer of proof that there was a ghost there. I mean, that's you what I'm what saying mean? is that that was the most convincing feeling to me was that when I moved into the next apartment and it was like, oh, this isn't haunted. <laughs> <laughs> that's wild. That's, that's actually and I was just kind of like, oh, I'm just alone when I'm alone. <laughs> that's incredible. And then I get that feeling like I'd want to like reach out or like give my ghost a call or something. Not that we talked, but. <laughs> <laughs> But just that it's weird idea. getting getting used to the idea too like once you're you know after six years you know you get the comfortability but it's 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 got to be almost comforting in a weird way that yeah okay there's a, another weird happening it's not it, it stops freaking you out after some time or did it even ever freak you out i mean i've always been kind of into ghosts and down with the idea <laughs> yeah so oh, um, me too actually me too i, I i'm i don't i I'm not one to say that's real, not real. I mean, the idea of it exists, comes from somewhere. People didn't make it up out of thin air, right? Out of thin air, that's a yeah. good one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I lived in a house in um, Los Feliz and it was an older house. I uh, can't remember, it was built in 1922. It was uh, sort of a mini mansion. It was... Uh, 
right there. It was built by Frank Lloyd Wright Jr. Uh, oh, no, excuse me. That's my house wasn't. The house next door is the famed Frank Lloyd Wright Jr. film that was featured in the movie The Aviator as the house that Howard Hughes bought Ava Gardner. Did he um, crash the plane on? No, he didn't crash the plane on in that house. That was um, a different house. But this house had a famous... Uh, it, when you look above it, it has the famous diamond that almost looks like a, like, like a vagina when you look down the house and there's a pool in the middle and the rooms that go all around it. Now, this is the house that supposedly belonged to the guy who killed was the Black Dahlia murderer. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, Dr. Hobel. And supposedly there was a portal of some, some nefarious supernatural elements that would creep over into our house. So the room that I mostly stayed at in this mansion was a room where it had a, a bed and I would wake up and I would smell vomit. Now, normally when I would wake up smelling vomit, I would just assume it was me, you know, from the night before hard partying or something, but it was constant. Uh, and then Christo, who was uh, a friend of mine who lived there, would see a little girl walking down the hallway in the middle of the night on the upstairs. That's and then one time we had a cocktail party and somebody said, Oh, who's that guy coming up? And there was two women and a guy behind them. And as they walked up the stairs, they came in, they were alone. There was no dude. And two people saw this guy dressed in an older attire. If it was like about 1940s. So we had a medium come into the house and verified that an old woman had lived in the room that I was staying in and had died there of some disease. And she vomited all the time. And, appara and apparently Whoa. her vomiting <laughs> was her sign of affection for me. <laughs> Which is okay. That, that it was a positive. And then there was a little girl that died in the house. And that guy who came up was in a car wreck that happened right in front of the house. Damn. So that's, that, that was all very, I mean, whether, but the thing is the medium and the stories, she didn't know the stories beforehand and got this through her, you know, seance or what, or what feelings or whatever the fuck it is. Her process. Her process. She was able to give us the backstories and filled in the clues, which it, which is funny. We didn't we didn't proper. She, we had the uh, episodes, and they just they they met. They met in the middle. That's pretty which wild. Was very weird. Now in the place I'm staying now, Caitlin, in our place that you used to live in, mm -hmm. I have seen two ghosts in this house. The same or uh, two encounters. One time I was sleeping on the couch. And I looked up and I thought it was Jared, our other roommate in the, in the kitchen. And I, I, I so, totally saw this character over by the water cooler where it used to be. Mm -hmm. And so I, I got up and I was going to go, Hey, Jimmy jab motherfucker. You know, I was going to go and, you know, bitch slap uh, Jared. And out of nowhere, there was nothing there. It was just completely evaporated. Did you, you saw an actual figure? Yeah, and it evaporated by the time this I walked a, over. This there. is a question, though. 
Was it wearing clothes? Because I have an issue with ghosts wearing clothes because that just doesn't quite make sense to me. Like, what is the continuity of your ghosting outfit? You know, like what outfit do you get stuck in? This actually came up when <laughs> I was working on a film and we had the ghost of a kid who died and we had to go through this whole esoteric thought process of like, what is his ghosting costume? Like, what would he appear as as a ghost? Like, what's he stuck that with? That makes sense. So, I, well, like I said, that guy had walked up in cocktail attire and apparently that's i guess it's what you died in i think that's i think that's kind of the attire that's the lore of it i i maybe i mean i, I fuck i'm not an expert that's just the part that kind of doesn't see i never actually saw the ghost it was just like a, a feeling in general um i know we had like a, a bathroom at the end of a long hallway and i'd be um, with a mirror on the door and i'd be in the mirror doing my makeup and have that feeling someone had certainly walked in like so with so much certainty i'd be turning and say oh hey what's up and nothing would be there and that happened consistently and after a while i got used to it happening and i just be like oh hey ghost what's up how you doing <laughs> i can't honestly i can't honestly say i've ever had that feeling except for this one time when i was doing pottery and this ghost came up behind no i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> but uh no i honestly have never felt that feeling it's so weird i, I never Hey, George, you ever have any encounters with the supernatural? I don't believe that I have, but I did. A friend of mine, it's funny, we're talking about the subject. I was just down in uh, Houston, Texas, and uh, we were talking with the friends we were staying with, and they had just uh, recently moved to Houston from uh, Connecticut, this town called Southport, Connecticut. And um, my friend Jen... She's married to this gentleman named Alex. And when they, they moved in, she lost her wedding ring. They lived in the house for five years. And uh, this woman somehow misplaced the wedding ring. And um, uh, long story short, they wound up uh, finding some work down in Houston. And they moved all the way across to the middle of the country, to Texas, move into the house. Uh, you know, unpack all their belongings, fold up all the boxes. And uh, one of Alex's friends is coming to help uh, bring some stuff down to uh, the, uh, the garbage dump, like the recycling facility. So they put all these boxes in and uh, they drive, they dump the garbage and, uh, you know, they're getting back and the gentleman who's helping uh, them pack, like, you know, looks in the back of his truck for some reason, he finds the wedding ring. So um, that's not that interesting until you find out that uh, Jen was somehow in touch with the homeowner that purchased a house from them. And she started telling her that she lost her wedding ring. So there's a wow. belief that there may be a woman in the house that, um, was either not married or divorced or something happened. There was some association with that house in Southport, Connecticut and wedding ring. So as soon as she leaves the house, she finds the ring, but the new homeowner, the ring goes missing. So uh, there's wow. a belief that this ghost is uh, harboring the wedding ring. So um, I don't know how to connect all of those uh, coincidences, but that's what the um, theory, the working theory is at this point in time. That's pretty fascinating. Yeah. Very interesting. I had a, I had a nightmare. I was one time I was staying um, 
I was traveling across country and I was in the middle of a place called Rollo, Missouri. And it was my good friend, David Holman's grandmother and his father lived there. And the grandmother, they had a big enough land where the grandmother had her own little place uh, away from the main house. And one night I happened to go over there and her and I you got to, you know, getting drunk and she had me pass out in her uh, spare bedroom. And apparently not a lot of people stay in that spare bedroom. Well, in the middle of the night, I had the most violent, vicious nightmare I ever felt lucid. Uh, it was a Native American nightmare. And it was like the, it, this, this uh, being or in the nightmare, this Native American dressed in full headgear, uh, full, full on uh, wanted to kill me. I mean, it was violent. I mean, I woke up sweating um, and come to find out the land that she, that they lived on was the site of a major massacre of Native oh. Americans. And it was like, white man, get the fuck out of my house. <laughs> it was essentially, and she, she didn't even blink when I told her. She goes, yeah, that happens. <laughs> I was like, wow. what I, I never spent another night in that house again <laughs> I, I stayed in the big house uh but um I, I just remember yeah i mean it's it was like somehow something something supernatural got into my dream Where, we'll, we'll go around the room uh george which couple of your favorite ghost movies ghost movies um i don't know i guess the oh, first idea. one that kind of comes to mind is poltergeist i remember seeing that when i was a kid I haven't seen that movie in a long time, but uh, I remember being really worried about it. Uh, weren't they? Didn't they worried move about. into a home? Where they- <laughs> I was yeah. very concerned about I this. I was very concerned kids. about that. Film. Yeah, it was very, that was alarming. That was disturbing, and I guess um, buried on. Yeah, they built it on top of a Native American, American burial American ground. Burial ground. Yeah, and. Um, Another one that always uh, kind of stuck out to me was Amityville Horror because we kind of grew up in uh, Long Island where, you know, Amityville wasn't that close, but it was always, you know, referenced and uh, they talked about it quite a bit. And then didn't they make or remake that film not too long ago? It With Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. I mean, that seemed like an odd choice. For, Plus, uh, they've had plenty of sequels and yeah. documentary and that was like on a, a famous staple. novel. Yeah, that was a staple of... Uh, you know, mid eighties, uh, video store experience, Pete talking yeah. about blockbuster, mm-hmm. the 3d yeah. version, the, the third movie was in 3d. Yeah. And that's supposed to be based on a true story, right? Yeah. Yes, it was. I don't, I don't, I think they took a quite a few liberties with it, but, um, that's what they say. Is, yeah. is John, is the town Amity a nod to Amityville horror in by Steven Spielberg in Jaws? No. You say? Or is Amity no. a real place? I don't know. Amityville in, in Long Island is a real town. And Amity, Amity, which is what Jaws. And Jaws, none. One doesn't have to do with the other. A, I, th- I don't even think the book was out in '75 when Peter eventually wrote the novel Jaws, uh, and when the movie came out. So I don't think they're connected. I'm glad I hijacked that conversation to say that. Then, <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Pete, why don't you give us a couple of your favorite ghost movies? Oh, there's only one. Scrooged. i think i love that movie i mean it's it's you know it's a tale as old as time but uh as far as the versions of uh christmas carol go that's the one and it certainly is about ghosts i don't know i've always loved it um 
That's so, so funny because I wouldn't think of them as ghosts, but obviously they're ghosts. They're the ghosts of Christmas past and present yeah. and future, but like at the same time, it doesn't register as, it's, it, 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 register it doesn't, as ghosts to me in the same way. Yeah. It's not, <laughs> what, what about you, Caitlin? Um, well, I'll, I'm going to say two. I mean, definitely The Shining is one of my favorite movies ever, and that is just the best, spookiest example of yes. what it is to be haunted. <laughs> it doesn't get better than that. Um, and then, as you brought it up before, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, the actual movie Ghost is is totally a favorite. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's a great film. <laughs> That's such what a like romantic ghost story. Do you, do you know how many nights Roger and I have watched Ghost together, <laughs> just sitting there? The, it also had was one of when uh, all the Bernie memes memes were happening. The Bernie Sanders memes. The one that took the absolute cake was, was Bernie with the gloves doing the. <laughs> It was like Bernie's gloves on the clay comes behind. That was my favorite That's Bernie classic. meme of all time. Uh, what about you, melody. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Well, I've, I've got several. I mean, I, but you guys are going to go, oh, cinephile fucker. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the others was a, is a very by Alejandro Menabar is a, a great <laughs> ghost story. Uh, very, very creepy, very quiet, very atmospheric the original the haunting by robert wise uh which was remade into a big beyond debacle uh, uh there's a great movie called the innocence which is a great ghost story but um what about scream know, are you a big scream guy rog there's no ghosts in scream there's a ghost, I know. There's a ghost costume it's a ghost costume <laughs> does that count <laughs> <laughs> but but my but my probably one of my personal favorites is a Korean film, very fucking creepy, called uh, Tale of Two Sisters. And oh my god, if you've never had a chance to see that movie, I'm gonna write that I, down. I, a Tale of Two Sisters, but it came out in 2003. I highly recommend it. Man, <clears throat> turn out the lights, shut the doors, and be ready to have your fucking hair stand up in the back of your head. What's the premise of that one? Well, it's it's about two sisters. The buried secret of the past of these sisters comes back and inhabits one of the sisters. And it's after a while, you don't know what is real and what is fake. After It, it, it just builds. It's so the plot itself is so somewhat murky uh in 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 the way that it delivers because it's it's so sinewy um it's really hard to to encapsulate uh it in a like uh, a log line um but it's uh just don't bring your sister home from a mental hospital that's so all i gotta it, say is it scary then it's it it, it it's, it's a not, horror film yes but it's not like exorcist scary it's just it'll it's very atmospheric. That's the kind of ghost stories that I like. The ones that, you know, just you know, it, you know, you could talk about the sixth sense, and that's a, a pretty groovy movie. And you know, the one note wonder M. Night Shyamalan, but the uh this movie really will have you and it, it's just it's it's just intense and visually stunning. It's usually on a lot of top ten lists for horror movies i have a question then about you know it's inspiring me to think about there some people hate horror films 
you guys all know someone that hates horror films, right? My dad. They just They won't watch them, you know? I don't I, hang out with those people. <laughs> well, but you know they exist, right? I've, I've heard that they exist, but I don't know if I really believe in them. <laughs> I, I can't say, I don't not hate them. I've watched them. I don't watch them with with like a with excitement as some yeah you're not a big horror film fan i'm not a big horror film fan i'll watch them no problem but i wonder if it's because i and this is just a little bit of a segue into another world maybe but when i was a kid i had these like night terrors right horrible dreams so i i wonder if in the back of my mind going into a horror film if that's gonna if any of that shit would ever come back it doesn't ever and i think as i've gotten older it's the fine thing but i do think i stayed away from all that as not to to kind of go there but at the same time i think some people deal with their nightmares and that stuff by watching that and expressing yeah and expressing getting kind of a purging that stuff by watching it you know what I mean? I, mm. I, do you think there's any truth to any of that? I don't, you know. Well, you know that they say uh, there was a, a study done and there was a book. Um, God damn it. I'll have it's off the top of my head. I can't remember what the fuck her name is. A woman writer wrote about horror films and there was a study done that in prison, whenever they, they used to not show horror films because they thought it would bring aggressive behavior up opposite happened really and actually hmm. released the aggressive potential within the prison population when they would see something of that nature happening in a movie even up to and including um one of my favorite horror movies uh henry portrait of a serial killer uh about a serial killer actually whatever pent-up feelings they had they were able to get it released through vicariously experiencing it through that hmm. movie Finn, that's, that's really interesting. really interesting i was gonna say something interesting i heard today actually i was listening to a couple of things actually about theories um different theories of what ghosts are and there was one that talked about night terrors um and and this there's something i never thought of literally but i guess when you are so when you're dreaming and you're having dreams something happens in your brain that disconnects your body from moving you know, so that you're not act you're experiencing the dreams, but your body knows not to react to them. Oh, One no. of the theories is of what some people are experiencing when they wake up in the middle of the night is this in between state where, or especially having a night terror where like your body, uh, that mechanism in the brain is still off, but you wake up and in the disorientation, the overall disorientation, that what makes people sort of hallucinate, they believe hallucinate these visions of other demons or whatever that might be there. Um, but you know that doesn't explain a ton of other things of what other people's ghost experiences are. But that was one thing. Well, I think it's interesting that there's so many different kinds of ghost stories. Even as we were talking about all the different films, that there's so many different approaches to like what a ghost is, why it happens, what the relationship is with the different ghosts, and what makes it spooky, and what makes some people fascinated by something spooky, and other people want to go away from it. Like I know ever since I was a little kid, I loved that like the shining was actually my favorite movie when i was like five years old and and it didn't scare the only thing that really scared me in the shining for most of it was fascinating but there's that one scene in the end where the, there's the guy in the dog suit giving a blowjob to the butler 
I knew you were going to say that. And that, that yep. scared, that was the only part of the shining that scared me. And I had nightmares about just that guy in the dog suit. <laughs> yeah, that was, yeah. And like the rest of it, it was no problem. Like the twins chopped up and like be, I used to, my little brother's name is Danny or was Danny when we were a kid. And I used to scare him going around and be like, come play with me, Danny. I was like, you know, creepy kid from the start. And, you know, later I got really into goth music, but, you know, <laughs> it all somehow connects. It's, there's a connective thread that I don't even know what it is. Well, what do you think it is about Stephen King that know, that he has that imagery or that even the words to make the imagery that are terrifying? Probably because he was terrified by that very, for whatever reason, that exact same image you're describing. That was a mm -hmm. Kubrick image, not a book image. You don't think it was a book image? No, 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 no. That, that scene's not just that. It was an image directly from Kubrick, not and was not King was not happy about that. Really, King Stephen King hates The Shining. Does he? Mm -hmm. It's so funny because every I mean, to, not to go totally rogue, but every Stephen King movie that becomes or a book that becomes a movie is amazing when he's not involved. When he has a hand <laughs> in it, it feels like it's terrible. Like Misery is amazing, Shawshank people love. You know, The Shining is incredible, but Tales from the Crypt is horrible. What? I mean, it's oh, no, you get right thing. out of here. I love Tales from the Crypt. It's one of the greatest Wait. pieces of television ever. No, Are you kidding me? You, you're I could, I could uh, hold on. Watch. It's called Creep Show is what Creep you Creep Show. Oh, that's that's something else. No, Tales from the Crypt. Like, but wasn't Tales from the Crypt Stephen King as well? No, it's based on EC Comics. Oh, Only, that's right. Okay, but the I apologize. Creep show, I'm Creep wrong. show, Creep is, show a, is what I'm talking about. Yes. It's an homage <laughs> to those EC comics. <laughs> I've seen anyway. Creep so I think I, I think I think we're I think we're there. I think we're about ready to wrap up here, guys. <laughs> and uh, real quick, the name of the book is Men, Women, and Chainsaws: Gender in the Modern Horror. I by, have that book by Carol Clover. Well, that study is in that book. That was from a, I took a class called History of Murder in college to also add to my goth credentials. <laughs> and that was from that class. George, what were you going to say? I was going to say Creep Show is, I remember when I, as a kid, they used to have these um, like swap meets where like dudes would show up with their muscle cars and like, you know, show off the engines and they would do them at, for some reason, they did it at the drive in theater. And I remember like one of my early memories as a kid is seeing that Creep Show poster. And I always wanted to watch the movie and we rented it. And uh, some of it was kind of Stephen not... King played in it. He yeah. Was like, it was so bad. <laughs> Didn't he turn yeah. into like a plant? Yeah. Jordy yes. Barrel. Yeah. Yeah. Some... Hey, I've yeah. seen that movie a million times and I love it. So go some fuck really? yourself. Really? <laughs> yeah. It blows a... my theory away. Yeah. I love that movie as a kid. Now I got to go see it again, man. Yeah, and the last story is the best about With the, the box. Yeah, the beast yeah. in the box. But uh, did Stephen King do that cat's eye one? Oh, remember yeah. How, remember how terrifying that was when you watched yeah, that as a kid? Wasn't, wasn't mean, there like a little monster that like yeah. stole the breath? Oh, yeah, that yes. one. Was, that was one when I was a kid that I loved. That was a favorite. I loved, 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 loved. That's, loved yeah, that's another cat's anthology. Eye. That's oh, another anthology. Forgot about that one. You know, um, can, let's give a minute to Stephen King, for example, for a second. This first of all, the stand is the best book a person you could read. I have I did not watch this recent thing of it because I heard it sucked and I'm terrified to watch another horrible version of that book be made into a mini mini series. <laughs> you're, you're more scared of the movie being bad than the movie. Yeah, itself. I really, really am. I mean that book you're is serious. that book is so fucking awesome. 
yeah, I, I cannot stress enough. It's something I read it twice as a kid. Yeah, I've read it twice as well. I absolutely love that. It would have made a great TV series if somebody had the real nuts to make it properly. They do. They just tried and it fell on his face. I and know. I mean, it's unbelievable. I think it's too complex. It's too much of a character study. And, but please, I really want to hear like your like Stephen King and you what you guys think about him or your relationship with him in any way. Because is there a more prolific writer, not just horror, but just by sheer volume? than Stephen King in our in our lifetime? Well, Stephen King, during his period reign of, of, of writing, was the most um, sold more books than any other writer in history uh, up to the point that uh, J.K. Rowling had eclipsed him with uh, lesser, far fewer books, but a much bigger readership with her Harry Potter series. That is the... Uh, best-selling author in the history of writing really Stephen King I think is third now I, I don't know who's number two but yeah Stephen King um L. Ron yeah, Hubbard probably number two I was gonna say that guy Joe the plumber when he was writing his autobiography I think that's a lot of guys what, Joe what, was the, what was the guy who wrote those books uh the Goosebumps books yeah. Uh, R.L. Stein. Yeah, what about that? What about that guy? My daughters <laughs> watch those shows all the time. And dude, I gotta be honest, like some of it is like kind of creepy, those shows. They, I don't know if they're quite for I mean, no. especially for like young kids there. That was horror. another one of my favorite childhood readings. Kayla's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I was in it. <laughs> I was in it to win it. There was one and point I actually got um I went to I was going to a Christian school in Arizona at one point and I almost got expelled for bringing a group of kids into the bathroom to play Bloody Mary at oh, a Baptist God. school. <laughs> that, sounds that. Like a, that sounds like a Caitlin move. <laughs> it was a big deal. <laughs> Those girls hey, are such chickens. Anyway, guys, we have, uh, we, we have uh, gone above and beyond our half hour of talking about everything supernatural. And I want to thank Caitlin Weixel. Uh, for climbing on board and uh, awesome, being Kayla. part of this moment. Thank you, Thank you very for much. Me. <laughs> and uh, of course, Pete, we you know we we fucking love you, brother. We, <laughs> and uh, we're so glad that we got to learn a little bit more about you. George, you got anything to say? I'll just say, Pete, you know, uh, it was great getting to, uh, you know, hear those stories again. And next time, I know, you, you know, we're running low on citrus. Uh, <laughs> just ask next time that you kindly bring uh, some of that yourself. And Kind listeners, please, if you have any thoughts, comments, concerns, uh, you know, about our behavior or have any ideas for uh, future shows and or uh, guests, please email us at five dollar buzz at gmail.com. And that's all spelled out. F-I-V-E-D-O-L-L-A-R-B-U-Z-Z at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you.